Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger, And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Before Frank Gore got injured, he was the best I had ever seen till this day. And when I saw him drop back in coverage and get that interception, I was, I was honestly in shock. It, it felt like, it felt like, like my body went numb. I, was all, I always liked Eli's quarterback, but he made me a fan that day. I was like, that's a bad white boy. Yo, welcome to All Things Covered with Patrick Peterson and Bryant McFadden, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. The name says it all. If you like what you hear, make sure you leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube. Just visit youtube.com slash all things covered. So make sure you make sure you're subscribed and turn on your alerts so you can get the show right away. Pat P, what are we going to cover in this episode? Yo, Mac, man, the Vite fans been loving our school check-in. Yes, sir. So we got to give them a little sneak peek on the minicamp, uh, on our minicamp expectations. Mm-hmm. We're going to check with a South Florida great and a Super Bowl champ. And Terrell Roll, he went to the U, Max, since you ain't going to say it. I'm, gonna I'm say not going to say that. He went to the U. I ain't going to put up a symbol, but he went to the U. <laughs> Stay tuned. Ladies and gents, first quarter of our show, you know what we do. We chop it up. And during this chopping it up segment, this is a very, very special, special week. Juneteenth is later this week. So we're not going to highlight anything football related. We're just going to highlight social life related relatable things. And for us being African-Americans, this is a very, very special, special date. Juneteenth is also called Freedom Day, Jubilee Day, Emancipation Day. Uh, Juneteenth is a holiday celebrated on June 19th uh, to commemorate the emancipation of enslaved people in the U.S. The holiday uh, was celebrated in Texas in 1865. Uh, The Emancipation Proclamation happened in 1862, but the official how celebrating year was 1865, June 19th. And because Juneteenth is happening later this week, we like to kind of highlight some of the things the NFL has been doing. So you look at some of the steps the league has made over the past year or so uh, to promote uh, not just Juneteenth, but social justice. Uh, They've donated a lot of money. Uh, This time last year, the NFL committed $250 million over a 10-year span to combat a somatic racism. They've also done a great job in recognizing June, June 19th as an official holiday 
all offices associated with the National Football League will be closed. So that's a great, great site to see. And I think they will continue to do other things as well. The NFL and the Senior Bowl, they will host an HBCU combine starting this upcoming season to highlight some of the outstanding uh, football players that are playing in HBCU programs so they can get a a fair opportunity to showcase their talent and their skill set to be able to be drafted. So hearing these things and knowing what June, June, Juneteenth means to all of us, to say the least, especially African-Americans, you know, how does that make you feel? What, what are your feelings knowing the NFL? They're doing uh, more than just, you know, donating money to really support the cause and make things a little fair when it comes to, you know, individuals not having the same platform as some other guys. You know, I think it's a start. You know, I think they're definitely moving in the right direction as far as bringing more awareness to social injustice, The you know, the whole reasoning behind June 19th. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I feel like we, we still got a ways to go. You know, it's, it's a start, you know, in, in the right direction. But, you know, I want to see more coaches have more opportunities. You no know, I not just, you know, having you know, African-American uh, coaches at just a, a position. I want to I want to see what those guys have more power than what they have. You know what I mean? So really make it feel like it's freedom. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's still a bunch of, you know, African-American coaches that feel like, you know, they're handcuffed. So mm-hmm. I think they still need to do a better opportunity of honoring the, the Rooney rule, of, of making sure that more people of color not just, you know, just not African-Americans, but other minorities in general have the same opportunity that, you know, whites have. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's what's really going to start to get this thing in the right direction because we see it every year to where we have a number of uh, black coaches on that, 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 you know, that coaching panel that, you know, that's uh, for coaching vacancies. And nine times out of 10, I, I feel like they don't really get a fair shot. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, with them, stepping up to the plate and, you know, committing a $250 million over the next 10 years is just a, a great start. But I feel like, you know, it's so much more I feel that needs to be done, you know, to in order for us to feel like we're on the same playing field so we can feel equal, so we can actually feel like we're free because, you know, just what, not too long ago, you know, we had opportunities to, to really break the barrier of having African-American coaches hired, but we dropped the ball again. You know what I mean? I don't know what what it what it is or what's causing organizations to not give these coaches of colors or coaches of minority an opportunity to lead a football team. But um, I think the league is definitely uh, doing a great job of, uh, of getting a ball rolling. And, yeah. and it's definitely exciting to see. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see Eddie George, uh, the Dion's of the world, getting into those HBCU avenues to where, you know, now we can, you know, have an opportunity to, to, to get our, our youth, our community on a higher level, because we know HBCUs don't get many looks, but it's a lot of talent that come out of HBCUs. Yes, sir. So I think now having the HBCU come by will, will just open the door for a lot more coaches because, you know, a lot of great, coaches are in the HBCU. A lot of uh, great black coaches are in the HBCU, but they don't have the opportunity to showcase what they have. And, uh, but I think now having a combine for those guys, being able to, you know, have those kids showcase their talent coming from those HBCUs, I believe now it's going to open the eyes of like now seeing like, oh, 
black coaches can really coach players. You know, they can really run an organization. They can really get guys to where they need to be. They can motivate guys. You know, I, I, I feel like everybody on this earth is on the same playing field. We just don't have the same opportunities. Yep. And also, too, you look at your new home team, the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Minnesota has been a vocal point uh, you know, of the social justice movement. I mean, the owners of the Vikings have pledged to try and make a positive change. So that's a plus to see the organization, you know, trying to step forward and doing better things to make it a, a fair playing field, to say the least. And one thing I would like to see the NFL do is do a better job in educating and bringing more light to iconic individuals that, you know, are African-Americans. Like when you look at Major League Baseball, you know, they have Jackie Robinson Day, right? Mm -hmm. That happens every year. Pat P, have you ever heard of Kenny Washington? No, I haven't. See, that's the thing. I didn't either until I had had to do some research, right? Kenny Washington, for our listeners and our viewers that are tuning in to us, All Things Covered, Pat P, Brian McFadden, Kenny Washington was the first black player to play in the modern NFL. Mm. Went to UCLA. Played halfback, set a college record, a then college record for th- for having over 3,200 yards of total offense. Was an All-American in 1940. He also played baseball at UCLA with Jackie Robinson. They played mm-hmm. together. But because the NFL had bl- banned black players, when he graduated from UCLA, he wasn't able to play because they did not allow black players to play in the league. Mm-hmm. So he became a L.A. cop. He became a teacher. Uh, he played in minor league leagues for a few years. And then eventually when the Second World War ended, they forced the NFL to change their policies. So at that time, the Rams were located in Cleveland. So they relocated to L.A. And for them to avoid losing their lease at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum, the league mandated that they draft a black player. And that said player that they drafted was Kenny Washington, also known as the Kingfish. That was his nickname, a heck of a nickname, by the way. He only played a few years King. with the Rams. Yeah, he only played a few years with the Rams King. because his knees were so beat up for playing in, for playing in the minor league uh, that he did. But he was the first black player to play in the modern NFL era. Kenny Washington. He died in 1971 at the age of 52. But like, you didn't know who he was. I didn't know who he was. That's something that I wish the NFL would do more of educating, you know, showing, giving their, giving guys like Kenny Washington, his flowers, even though he's not here, I'm pretty sure his family would love to hear his name be highlighted and echoed, echoed throughout the national football yeah, league throughout the world. Because like you never hear about, like I never knew that obviously to the day who was the first NFL black player. Yeah, in the modern NFL. In the modern, yep. in the modern era. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah, I, I think, you know, Kenny definitely deserves a day because, you know, he opened the door for all of us who playing the game today. Yeah, and think about this. So he broke down the, the color barrier in the NFL in 1946. Right. And a year later, his college baseball teammate, Jackie Robinson, broke down barrier. the baseball color barrier in Major League. So right. Kenny Washington just wasn't a a, a a difference maker in football, but he also was a difference maker in sports because he was the first, and then Jackie Robinson followed him a year later in 1947. Yep. That's huge. That's, that's big. I love it. No doubt. No doubt.
now it's time for Skull Check-In. But before we get into Skull Check-In, make sure you stay with us on the opposite, opposite side of the half. Andrea Rose, Super Bowl champion, college All-American will be joining us on the opposite side of the half. But now let's attack the Vikings side of things. Skull Check-In. Pat P, this is a very, very important week for Minnesota, for the Vikings, for the organization. Mini camp will start. Mini camp expectations is this skull check-in topic. For Pat P, you've been in the league for quite some time, but break down the difference between mini camps and OTAs. Um, honestly, Mac, there's no real big difference. Uh, I, you know, I think mini camp is more getting guys geared up for how an in-season practice will go or how training camp is going to be. I think it's just, you know, OTAs is just getting, you know, getting us prepared, obviously going through all the plays, make sure everybody knows their checks, everybody know where they, where they need to be. And mini camp is just like a, a ramp up from that. And then obviously mm-hmm. training camp is training camp. So, you know, my expectations throughout this, this mini camp that's going to happen uh, this week is uh, we had a great OTAs, you know, yeah. uh, you know great ke- team chemistry. Now we're just under, uh, going out there and just getting used to training camp, like what practice is going to be like, you know, mm-hmm. because we've been practicing. Because mini camp, you have two practices a day, right? Uh, I think Are they still under? not mistaken. I think it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I think it's three days. But it's two. is it two practices a day or just one? It's just one. But, it, okay, it, but just one. meetings are a little bit longer. So, you you know, you'll meet in the morning, do your workout, go practice. Then you uh-huh. got to come back and, you know, clean up the film that you that you watch, uh, that you uh, that you put on tape uh, in that morning practice, you know, get all the kinks out. And then the next day you do it all over again. So it's just gotcha. like a, it's just like a a shorter version of the in season practice versus OTAs is just like you're out there for an hour and a half, mm-hmm. get your workout in, and you and you and you back at the house. Gotcha. You know, versus you get out of the building around one o'clock doing OTAs. You know, versus many camps you get out of the building around three thirty. You know, so yeah. it's just about a two hour uh, long longer period, but um. You know, we, we, we've been looking really, really good. You know, um, a lot of guys are, uh, all the guys have been here for the most part. And, you know, guys. That's a, that's are, a great sign. That's a great yeah, sign. Hearing guys that. have it on their mind to where, you know, we have to get together to understand one another, to make sure that we can trust one another when we're out there on the field to where, you know, the chips and the dominoes going to fall where they need, you know. So yeah. minicamp OTAs, well, OTAs have been great. I'm looking for a great minicamp as well. Hey, and I know you spoke about, you know, I asked you a few weeks ago when you guys first got involved in OTAs, players that stuck out to you, you highlighted Dalvin Cook. No surprise there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, upon finishing OTAs and now getting ready for mini camps, uh, mini camp, ha- is there another player that kind of have stuck out to you? Like, yo, I mean, this this guy could really be a big ass- asset for what we're trying to do during the season. Is there another guy that have caught your eye? Um... Yeah, it's it's a couple guys, man. Xavier Woods, safety. Which, yep. Yeah, been really good with this man. Just a just a seasonal vet, you know. Always going to be where he needs to be. Going to make the right checks. Going to make the right calls. You know, just a smooth criminal. You know, mm-hmm. I, I he don't know this yet, but I call him Daddy Smooth, man, because he he don't okay. say words. But when he out there, he just he's always where he needs to be. And my second player, this is no surprise, you know, watching him from afar for so many years and being able to grow up with him was Justin. You know, I think I told uh, Harrison this maybe like three days ago. I was like, man, that 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 Justin, he get it, man. And I think we and we talked about it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, not before I was even his teammate when we when we had him on the episode. You know, you could just tell he's one of those guys that get it, comes into work. He's a pro. I mean, very efficient in practice. Just so just 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 a guy that seems like he's been in the league for four or five years. Yeah. You know, and that's very rare that you can see a second year that you can look at a second year player and be like, damn, he he's been here before, but he he really hasn't. You know, and that's just a credit to his family, obviously the way he go about his business. And, and, and what he wants to, what he wants his career to be. You know what I mean? You can uh, tell he wants to be special. He loves the game. Thanks. And he loves coming to work every day. I, I tell you this, in minicamp, this one I knew Justin wanted, wanted to get good. So I last day OTAs last, I think it was Thursday. Justin didn't want to go at no other corner but me. Really? That's my first time I ever got called out. Uh. <laughs> I'm on the bench. All right, I had just got, I just got a rep done. We had just won a rep maybe like, Maybe three, maybe three or two reps. He met him with, and we were just doing releases. Yeah, he put his helmet on and said, "Yo, Pat, I need you." I said, "All right, okay, okay, yeah." <laughs> and I up, you know, and I and I gave him the look that you know that he want because you know he wants to get better and just seeing that, hearing that, being around him every day is a pleasure because I've seen that when he was a kid, like we talked about before. Like I've seen him since he was 11, 12 years old, and he always had that about him. Mm-hmm. And not to be his teammate, yo, Justin, the real deal. You gotta love that. We re-released the Justin Jefferson episode uh, last week, and we asked viewers to comment how many touchdowns they think uh, Jefferson will have in 2021. Uh, everyone 10. said, 10 everyone plus. said over 10. Yeah, I'm gonna say 10 plus. At seven last year, you, you're saying at least 10. 10 plus, no doubt. I think that's a, that's a doable number. Yeah, that's plus. a doable number. And I can tell you this much: if he continues to go in the direction we believe he will go in, he can easily jump into that top 10 wide receiver conversation. Hey, Mac, go to go back. You remember when we was talking about releases and running routes, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. With, with Justin. Yep. Dog, he ran a route on me, right? So I had to ask him, like, what was that route? Like, like <laughs> tell me, like, what was that? It wasn't a red zone. And, but he sold it so well to where it literally, I, I, I didn't know what route it was. It was, it was just like a Dino, but he sold the out so well to where you know, cause it was in the red zone, it was in the red zone, I think it was like plus 15, maybe. He had a cut mm-hmm. split. And you know, most of the time when DB, when receivers run like that angle out, yeah, they're trying to get on a cut split, they're trying to get back to the, the DB's uh, outside shoulder because that's where the most room the quarterback can throw the ball. Mm-hmm. We was in the, I can't, I can't remember what coverage we was in, but I had a middle field safety. So you had a safety in middle, inside of you? Yes, I had a safety inside of me at the 15 mm-hmm. yard line. And he sold the out so well. I still was in position, but he sold the out so well with, and it was with his feet. It wasn't even with his eyes. You know, most DB, I mean, most receivers, you know, look this way, yeah, uh, trying to you know throw off the what's name. But he sold it so well to where when he came to me, when the red zone, obviously we know we got to be slow because mm-hmm. I'm, I, you know, we we protecting the goal line. No question. But he ran up to me on like on a a little bit of a, a of a stem outside to the bottom of the numbers. And he did, he, he almost hit like a Euro step. It, it literally was like a Euro step, man. I kid you not. <laughs> he, uh, went out, came back. No, so I'm sorry. He went in and went out for a hard two steps and came and back. came back in? Yes. So after practice, I said, like, yo, Jay. So it's basically he, he had a cut split, which is a tight split. He... Yeah. outside release to your outside shoulder yes. like he's going to run an out or a fade ball hit you with an yes. in hit you with an out and then hit you I right back with an in so it was like a skin it was like a quick it was a skinny 
man, it was it was a Dino. They call it a Dino. Dino. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Post. It's, it's that post corner post. Yes, that's exactly. what it is. That post corner post. It was, it was like uh, it was it was. I was like, man, you really got me. Like he, he I mean, he didn't get me because I was I, I was under the, I was under the route and I had safety inside, but I was yeah. so ready to break on that out route to where it was like, damn, like the way he gave me like three moves in one. So was- let me let me let me understand this. So basically, because like you said, most wide receivers they either give you that head, to, right. the head placement to look to, to kind of get you off your off your leverage. Mm-hmm. Or they get you with the shoulders. He literally got you with his legs. Man, it was like I kid you not, Mac. It was like the euro. <laughs> <laughs> but he has a it's an unorthodox style right. of running routes. And remember, I mentioned that to him when he was on the show. When you watch him run routes, he runs routes that they're not usually a coaching method for other wide receivers. Right. He run run routes the only way that he can run routes. He's the only man that can run routes how he runs routes because it's not an an a, a, an orthodox style. Right. It's all, and remember yeah, I told him, you him, he has a lot. He has a lot of Stevie Johnson in him. I was just about to say that Stevie, Stevie Johnson, Johnson yeah. Keenan Allen, yeah, and, uh, Justin yeah. Jefferson, yeah, league of their own when it comes to like they they really bought basketball to the football field. No question. Kid you not. Yeah. All of his routes looks like he's dribbling a basketball. Right. And you you just mentioned it, yeah. Keenan Allen is almost like Justin Jefferson is a mixture of Keenan Allen and Stevie Johnson with his route running ability. And what you just said, he hit you with that in, out, in, and didn't didn't utilize his head or his shoulders, utilized his legs. And and another crazy thing, (laughs) if I didn't break stride, Mac. Oh, it was was in in stride. In stride. Oh, so you got to react fast. And if the ball is placed where it's supposed to play, be placed at correctly, it's a touchdown. Yep. Unless you guess correctly. That's the thing. You If you guess, you better be right. Got to be right. And just hope that it's not a perfect pass. Man, that's unique right there. But yeah, he has an unorthodox style of running routes that he only could execute. And he's been executing it for a long, long time. And that's why he's so successful. And that's why he's so hard to cover. Because he's running routes in a way that we're not used to seeing. Right. Yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not like we're not used to seeing like bang, bang, tight routes. It's almost like he's setting you up to cross you over. And right. he does, and you know who also has that little crossover game also? Uh, Devontae Adams. Yes. He has he has a little bit of that in him as well, the basketball to the football field. But his uh, last, he's more like in the red zone. Like he's yeah. more like, he get more crafty in the red zone because he understand that DBs are playing with leverage and we're, we're using the sideline and other things for protection. So he does a great job in the red zone of selling that fade route coming back down to the front pylon. He do, do a great job of, you know, selling that slant, slant and coming back down to the pylon. Like Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest back shoulder throwers, uh, probably one of the best placement yeah. throwers that I've ever been around. So yeah, it's, it's, it's better for him in the red zone. But far as when he's in the field, he's a little bit more, you know, traditional. But in the red zone, that's when he get a little crafty. No question. That's good. That's good. And speaking of Justin Jefferson, last thing before we uh, transition to has Pat heard, we're currently in school check in, getting some updates uh, uh, with the current Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins uh, says he will be an open book for Kellen Munn, which is great to hear. Also, another great thing to hear is the Vikings inform Kirk Cousins that they will they would take a quarterback at some point in time in the draft. Mm-hmm. So Kirk Cousins got the notification that Aaron Rodgers didn't get two years ago. <laughs> you would think if you were that said organization franchise quarterback, 
they would let you know at some point in time, we're probably going to try to take a, a quarterback if that guy's available. Kirk right. Cousins received that information. Aaron Rodgers did not. Green Bay Packers, you should have took a snippet out of the Vikings book on how to treat your quarterbacks if you're happy with them. But he said he will be an open book for Kirk, uh, for Kellen Munn. I'm sorry. Second round draft pick from Texas A&M. Uh, what have you seen from Kirk Cousins with his play and his leadership? And what are your early impressions of Kellen Mond? Um, you know, Kirk has been great. Kirk, um, you know, Captain Kirk has been Captain Kirk. Get Captain Kirk. Yeah, he's been sharp, you know, get, putting the ball where he needs to be. And, and Kirk has a great cast around him. To, to have, you know, two two receivers, a tight end and a running back, and now get, uh, you know, beefing up the offensive line this year yeah. and having one of his best completion ratings in the season last year. Mm-hmm. I think the sky's a limit for him. You know, now we just got to go out there and continue building on, you know, what they started last yeah. year. You know, making sure that you put the balls in the right in, in, in the right players' hands, like we talked about earlier with Antrell, con- converting on third downs. You know, not turning the ball over. And you know, that's the biggest thing about NFL quarterbacks. You know, obviously you need you need defense to to play well. You know, whenever the quarterback's not on, but that's the greatest thing about Tom Brady, man. You know, he understands what he means to the football team. He understands what his play means to the outcome of the football game as well. To In order to give your team the best position, uh, the best opportunity to win football games is limiting turnovers, convert on third downs. And yeah. if you're able to do that and have a solid defense that's able to get on, you know, make a couple stops on third downs, obviously not letting teams score in the red zone, that's a good recipe for success. You know, mm-hmm. so- it's just going to come down to us as a defense of uh, not letting teams score and to Kurt, you know, managing the offense in the, in, in the way that he did last year, you know, not yeah. putting us in bad positions, making sure that, you know, we always have a chance. Yeah. And Kellen Munn, I'm sorry, I, I oh, misspoke. He, he was a third round selection, not second round, third round selection. Uh, Kellen uh, have an opportunity to not really see what he has because he's – He's been getting a little bit of time with the twos and the threes. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time when I'm, when, I'm, when we're on the sideline, we're kind of correcting ourselves. You know, what so we, you're not really watching. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, early on seeing him, uh, I think it was last week where he got a little bit more, a little bit more burn. You could definitely tell that the game is coming to him. You know, the game is and, and we know as rookies, you know, everything is moving so fast, especially, you know, when all the vets come around and and, and those days start to, to kind of blend in together. But you could tell he's going to be a good one. And you saw that that same process when he was at uh, Texas A&M with uh, with a uh, Florida State, uh, ex-Florida State head coach Jimbo. Jimbo. Yep. Um, you know, you can tell that he have great quarterback quarterback mannerism. He's just going to come. Mm-hmm. It's just going to come down to him understanding the scheme, learning the scheme and understanding, like we talked about, you know, what, you know, how important he is to the team, you know, because most teams that most, most losing teams, they're always at the top in freaking turnovers. Yep. They can't convert on third downs. Mm-hmm. So it's just going to come down to, to those uh, two, two point of emphasis throughout the season to, to see if we can, you know, be what we want to be. And obviously for, Collins, uh, uh, Kellen's uh, future, you know, that we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. There you have it. Skull check in. Big time week for the Minnesota Vikings. Mini camp is coming up. Now it's for your favorite part of the show. Has Pat Hurt? Man, we got some good questions for Pat P today. I think we got him. 
His record so far, out of 59 questions, he's gotten 40 right. Currently 68%. That's pretty good. Pretty good number. Last week, five questions, he got three right. Three out of the five last week. Pretty good. Pretty good. This week, huh, I don't know if he's going to be in the pluses this week. <laughs> First question for you. Fullback, Danny Vitale. Oh, I got it. Who played for the Packers, the Patriots, and the Browns. He announced his retirement on what website? Yeah, I got this wrong already, Mag. I don't know. LinkedIn. <laughs> he did it on LinkedIn. So what he did was he announced that he was he was retiring. The, uh, the little friend thing on uh, email. Yeah, yeah. The little <laughs> like the the career. Yeah, it's like the job, you know, site. Yeah, he posted on LinkedIn. So what he did was he kind of you know, put up who he was. He graduated from Northwestern University with a degree in economics. He also earned a minor in business institutions, uh, integrated marketing communications. He's passionate about anything he sets his mind to. He's goal-driven, hardworking, and looking to improve on every aspect of his life every single day. So what he did was he just kind of made it known that he was retiring, but he also added basically a part of who he is to kind of create another opportunity for him. Mm-hmm. hashtag open to work so a kind of smart way in trying to create another avenue you know when you, when you retire from one career trying to get another career started but yes he posts his retirement on linkedin i think that's the first so you got that yeah, one wrong. i got that wrong yeah and speaking of retiring uh let's use this opportunity to talk about a current legend a legend you played with with a legend i played with whose announcement we've been waiting for quite some time on whether he will retire or come back. And that's Larry Fitzgerald. What do you think Larry Fitz will do? Hey, if he ain't retired yet, he ain't gonna retire. Oh, <laughs> oh. But the thing though is, Pat, this is this is the conundrum that I think will be uh, surrounding Larry Fitz. Will they have room for him in AZ? Cause you got D-Hop, you got oh, Christian God. Kirk, you got AJ Green, you drafted, remember, friend of the show, uh, Rondell Moore. I think Rondell went in the second round, Listen. if I'm not mistaken. You got Danny Isabella still. They got, uh, they got. Andy Isabella didn't even play Andy, last year. Andy, Andy Isabella. Yeah, Andy didn't even play last year. But you use a second rounder on Rondell Moore. Yeah. And you know you use a second round on a guy, he's not sitting down. He's going to play at some point in time. You never know over there. You never know. Okay. Well, with A.J. Green, if he's healthy, you know he's going to be in the lineup. So it's like where it's almost like they made so many moves anticipating Larry Fitz walking away because they went and added a high round draft pick at the wide receiver position and brought in a seasoned vet who is when he is healthy, he still can be a a productive player. So I think I think they'll definitely find a way they will find a way for if Larry wanted to come back you know, late in the year or whenever, you know, whenever the, the time may permit itself, they'll find a way. What about this though, Pat P? Let's say Larry wants to play Arizona. Like, you know, you said sometimes it's Arizona. You never know. Got to expect the unexpected. Have you heard any Viking buzz associated with Larry Fitzgerald? Nah, you know, he used to be a ball boy there. Yeah, I know. From nah, Minnesota. I haven't. No, I haven't. I haven't. Um, you know that'd be interesting. You know if he if he would would, would want to come back to Minnesota, but now I, I I necessarily don't see that happening. I, if it was a team that he was going back to, it'd be Arizona. Larry, and if you so you're saying either he plays with Arizona, or he don't play. Yeah. Okay. Or I could see him going to Tampa too. One of the two Tampa. teams. 
Yeah, they definitely don't have no room for him. What? But listen, at at the end of the day, what Larry wants is a championship. Mm. Period. And I, you know, if that's because if you look at his, you know, last year, I think he played. He missed a couple games. You know, I think obviously it was one of his lowest, you know, play counts in his in his uh, in his career. career. Yeah. But Larry understands the position that he's in right now. He he's not going to go out there and give 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 you 40, 50 plays a game. Like he like he's like he, he'll be in year seventeen. He understands he could probably go out there and give you a good twenty at least. And you know why not it be with a system that you already know and, and, and Bruce Aarons or mm-hmm. come back to um to Arizona to, to help if they able to make the run help those guys make a push in the playoffs. Yeah. Well, we got to wait and see. He played in 66% of the offensive snaps for the uh, Cardinals last year. Uh, we got to just wait and see. You know, and we've been waiting. I feel like, you know, obviously he won't be a down tight end, but, you know, you know the Cardinals don't have no tight end. So, if they, you know, I think he'll be – not, and, and he won't be used as a tight end, but he'll be a, a tight end body type with, mm-hmm. with those mitch matches that he uh-huh. – such as he did, you know, when, once, when when B.A. got here, moving him into the slot, moving him around a little bit, motioning him here. You know, Larry's a great blocker, too. You know, yes, he is. Uh, He's always been. Blocker. So, yeah. And just having, you know, that presence in the room is definitely, can definitely go a long way. So, you know, I'm just like you. I guess we just all going to have to wait and see. Wait and see. What happens uh, in the next couple of uh, months. Okay. Well, you got the first question wrong, though. Yeah, okay. I did. Danny Vitale. going to be a bad week for me. He said I ain't coming. I ain't coming in excited today, so. <laughs> <laughs> we got him then. He's sleeping. Well, let's see. Talking about the Arizona Cardinals. Buda Baker is wearing number three because of which player? Allen Iverson. I knew Allen Iverson always was his favorite player. That was oh, easy. Oh, you had insight to that. Yeah, insight. So oh, yeah. let me give you guys an updated. Uh, uh, you got that one right. Let me give you guys an updated list of jersey changes in the National Football League. Darius Slay, he's wearing number two. Was 24. Leonard Fournette is wearing number seven. Chase Edmonds, 29-2. Matt Judon is wearing number nine. Quandre Diggs, six. James Conner, number six. Byron Murphy, your former teammate, he's wearing seven. Mark Ingram, number two. Julio Jones, number two. Hollywood Brown, five. DJ Moore, two. Did you say Jalen Ramsey? Is that official? Yeah, I think so. I know I saw him wearing number five. I didn't know if that was official. I'm trying to figure out what number five. Did he wear number five in high school? He wore eight in college. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, I think it is official. Yeah. I, I guess I, you know, I would ask you which jersey number will look the best, but I think you're going to say number seven. So All day. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. <laughs> so hey, next question. I do, I do like the number two, too. Because, you yeah, know, I wore that high school uh, in Little League. And that, that two, that eight, that eight smooth. That eight, that eight, eight, eight smooth. I like all single digits, honestly. Yeah, yeah, that eight smooth. Especially right. skill position guy. No doubt. That's what we're going to see a lot. It's going to take a little getting used to, but it's going to be fun seeing some of the different numbers in the in, in National Football League. All right, celebrity boxing matches continue. Who did Lamar Odom beat up on Friday night? With the saggy boxing pants, I ain't never hey, see. I ain't never I see a boxer see had a sag. Hey, I did see it. He pushed that man down. I forgot who he fought though. Man, it was like it was like it was like two drunk uncles fighting, and one of them had a little nasty sag. <laughs> the funniest part though was when Lamar. I don't know if he was letting him get off on him or he just let him gain some confidence. Man, but dog, that was the most entertaining thing that I've seen on TV. 
Because I was watching on mute to my to my uh, credit, but I okay. did see the fight. I don't know who he was fighting. Yeah, he he, he fought Aaron Carter. Aaron Carter. Yeah. Hey, check this out. Lamar high. had a ten inch height advantage. Right, Eleven it inch. A, <laughs> it was a height disadvantage. Who, who okayed that match? Hey, the only thing that saved him, but was him having that uh, helmet on, man. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, and Lamar it was almost like a nice a nice clean left though, right up under. He the did. He did, and then it was like he was just kind of sunning him in the in the mat in the ring. He was just kind of mushing him with yeah, the glove. He wasn't really yeah. hitting him sometimes. Hey, I can tell you who was the uh, the ref though. Who the ref was? Uh, Chuck Icebox. Icebox. UFC fighter. We might give you a half of that one. Yeah, I, I can't remember the guy, but I did watch the fight though. I just yeah, can't Aaron remember Carter. who he was. Fighting. Aaron Carter. That that's who it was. Yep. All right. All right, so wasn't your best effort. As you said, you came in kind of sleeping and we took advantage of you. That's why when you're playing on the island, you got to always be ready. Always be ready, guys. Yeah, you got to always be ready. So either you got one out of three correct or one and a half correct. We got to go to the committee and see exactly what happened. Now it's time for seven questions. So guys, make sure you stay tuned. After halftime, Antrail Row will be joining us. So stay tuned. But seven questions is where we get a chance to interact with you the listeners and the viewers. If you want your question to be answered in the future, leave a question attached to a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we may get to it on the show. This week's question comes from Real.DrewButler. Question for Pat P. Coming from Real.DrewButler. Shout out to Drew. Thank you for your question. With Julio out of the NFC South. Now, remember, Julio is now a Tennessee Titans player. Who is the top receiver in the NFC South and why has it always been Mike Evans? Now, it seems like Drew is a bit biased because he said it has always been Mike, Mike Evans. Evans, who's a straight I, dog. It definitely hasn't been always Mike Evans. But, I think over the last two years, Mike Evans took that title. Okay. Over the last but, two yeah, years. Right. Yeah. So right now, it's definitely Mike Evans. No question. Hands down. So so when you look at well, saying... You know, also going to come down to... You know who's going to be quarterback and see if he can obviously continue that going. But if I had to take a pick without, you know, over the last two years, it was Mike Evans. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Mike Evans. But what about uh, Michael Thomas? I mean, Michael Thomas. I thought my, my bad. Michael Thomas over uh -huh. the last two years has been his. It's been the best receiver in in the NFC South. Yeah. But with Mike Evans having Tom Brady and having much many more opportunities to be elusive and have many more one-on-one -on -one coverages mm -hmm. uh mike evans will will definitely take the title this year and in 2019 uh thomas had michael thomas had 149 catches yeah in 2019 great. so I clearly in 2019 he was the best wide receiver in that division 18, 18 has some numbers too. He just yeah, didn't have any catches. Yeah, 18, yeah, 18, he had some numbers. Yeah. yeah. He, you got to realize that's what led to that record-breaking contract right. that he received a few years ago. Mm -hmm. But right now, with Julio out and not knowing exactly uh which direction the Saints will go at the quarterback position, hopefully it's our friend of the show, Jameis Winston, who we had on the show some episodes ago. Yep. If you missed it, check our feed, check the YouTube page. It's there insightful conversation with Jameis Winston, but hopefully it's Jameis Winston. But if it's not Jameis Winston, you don't know exactly what kind of numbers Thomas will provide. But I, I'm with you right now, it's Evans. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's Evans, hands down. And it's safe to say, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they have two of the top three wide receivers yeah. in that division. 
if you want to throw in Chris Godwin, who would be number three behind Thomas, uh, number two with Evans being number one. So they got some talent there in Tampa. But thank you, Drew Butler, for your question. Like I said, if you'd like to have your question, uh, show up in our show. Make sure you leave a five-star review attached to your question, and we'll try to get to it on the show. Now it's time for shout-outs. We also want to remind everyone that you can find us on Instagram at All Things Covered Pod. Each week, we give clues for our next guest. And the first person to guess correctly gets a follow and a shout-out on the pod. So we have to shout-out Michael underscore MN19 for correctly guessing Derek Brown last week. Again, follow us at All Things Covered Pod for the very best content from the show. Now it's time for halftime. But on the other side of the break, we'll be joined by a Super Bowl champion, collegiate All-American, Antrail Road. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Ladies and gents, we back from halftime. If you guys been following the show, you know how we rock and roll. We go into halftime, make a few adjustments. We come out of halftime with a key addition to our squad as well. We gave you guys a hint earlier in the show who it is. Outstanding individual, a terror in the secondary, played cornerback, played nickelback, played safety, both safety positions. And me and Pat, P, we were having some issues in the secondary in the first half. So we got went out and got a guy that can do it all. Spent 11 years in the National Football League, commanding hell in the secondary. Played for three NFL teams, Arizona Cardinals, the New York Giants, and the Chicago Bears. Super Bowl 46 champion, three-time pro bowler, 2005 first-round draft pick. I will not say it, but he went to Miami. I'm not saying what most people say about that program, but he went to Miami where he was an All-American. My dog, my road dog, man, my compadre, friend of the show, and Trail Road, join us here. All things covered. Pat Peterson, Brian McFadden. Road, how you doing? Man, I'm on with two legends. I'm good, man. I'm rocking. <laughs> hey, man, we appreciate you joining us, man. We know you got a lot going on, but let's start at the beginning. Before Antrail became a first-round draft pick before Antrell became an All-American at Miami. How did your family and where you grew up influence your football career? Man, they were, they were everything. You know, I just always wanted to represent the name on the back. That was that was my home. That was always my number one priority. Just go out there and give it everything I got. You know, I, you know, we always blessed with talent. We all have talent, but it's about, you know, what we put into that talent, what we, what we challenge ourselves with. Uh, I think that was a key my success, my parents, my family, you know, my family has always been there from the beginning. You know, they never missed a game. 
um, brother and sister, you know, was always in my corner. My sister went to college UCF. She's always there. My brother was always in my back pocket. So it was just us five, man. We always rock. So let's go back uh, to your high school days coming out of, of, of Dade County, a top graded, top tier defensive back. I didn't know this, but you were locked and loaded to go to the University of Florida. What changed your mind and ultimately going to Coral Gables to Miami? Uh, listen, I was just locked and loaded on, on Florida just because I wanted something different. It's Miami. It made me get there. And then when I went to the Florida visit, I was blown away by it. Man, it was, you know, and looking back now in hindsight, a visit really doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, to impress you, man, I went down to one you one practice and that was all it took. Man, I saw them boys bang. And when I said, <laughs> I, I thought it was literally trying to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's break time and break. You know, I see every boys gelling. I'm like, hey, you know, they were just trying to kill each other. What is this about? Yeah. But I, I, that's the intensity of their practice. That's how they made each other better. And I, I look and I'm like, I need to be right here. Right. <laughs> so what was it like stepping on campus as a freshman uh, in 2001 in that uh, in the University of Miami uh, locker room? Like, how was it? <sighs> Listen, it, it was it was honestly like a, a, a surreal year, like you felt like constantly prove yourself. And I don't mean every day, I mean every minute of the day. Because right. those guys, you know, they, they had a certain standard that, that, that they played by, that they lived by, you know, on and off the field. You know, they had so many things that were not mandatory, but mandatory, you know, and it was, and it was all player you know, self-imposed. And you just want to be a part of the guys, you know, want to go out there and I was one of four guys who didn't get red. So, uh, you know, my calling was special teams. You got to go out there and try to be a dog on special teams by by any means necessary. And took, I've never in my life took so much pride in being a special team, being a gunner, being a whole guy in my life. And, you know, that was me and Sean T. Dog. Uh, and, you know, and, and we accepted that very much. And when we got in the game, they told us, we blow these cats out. We're going to blow them out. When y'all get in the game, if they score one touchdown, y'all ain't playing no more for the rest of the Damn. <laughs> knew they meant that, you know, yeah. because at that much pull, even over the coaches, over the coaching staff, like the, the players ran the team. Right. And, uh, but man, the leadership, the leadership was off from all angles. You know, it didn't matter what position it was. We had, we had a, a, a leadership. And I think that's also helped me carry my leadership skills over to, you know, teams that I played for. So, Ro, you've called Sean Taylor the best teammate you ever had. What made Sean so special on and off the football field? And what makes someone a great teammate? Uh, first and foremost about Sean, I just think that he had, he possessed a talent that I think I've only seen once in his lifetime. It was with him. He mm. was big. He was physical. He was a terror. Cover ground from any angle. He could go down and cover a receiver if he needs to. He's a, he's a bruiser. When he hits you, he's going to make you feel it. Mm-hmm. And people don't give him enough credit for his football IQ. The boy was a football player. Yeah. He found a way to get the ball. He found a way to get the ball. And when he got the ball in his hands, he knew exactly what to do with it. And what was it, um, like, what, with, with Sean T being there, obviously we heard so many great stories with Sean T. What, what is some, one of the, one of the, I guess, one of the best Sean T stories you can give us? I, I think when the coaches realized who he was, he did something for Sean put him like on, on third team and you know Sean just took his helmet off went and sat down towards the end of the bench didn't say nothing to nobody then you know coach called third team 
Thorns line up, you know, deep. And by the time you say, hut, the quarterback, hut, all you see is just blur, right? It's just flat. He left the deep third safety and just, in his mind, he was like, I'm going to destroy any and everything. And they end up handing the ball off to Jason Ellis. And when he cut, when he, when he made contact with him, all you heard was, blah! Everything just came out of Jason Gellar's helmet. Every single thing. <laughs> every, everything. Ear pad, chin strap. I think face mask was broke. And I'm like, bro, you're supposed to be in third. He didn't care. He was he was that mad because the coach had put him on third team. He didn't pout. He didn't do none of that. He just went and sat down and was like, I'm going to make a statement. But of course, Shannon hadn't sent him in the locker room. And he came back and looked at us and said, that MF for crazy. Like, that, that dude crazy. <laughs> Yeah, he is. But that, that's you know, you know, I mean, that dude, since the age of six years old, you know, we started playing together when we were six years old. And then I remember we played on the same team. I remember we switched teams. I went and played Florida City Razorback, like South Day Rams. And I was at running back. He was at linebacker. And the coach was like, 28 sweet, 28 sweet. And I look over to the right, and I see Sean over there at linebacker. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, coach, seven sweet. I'm going to the left. <laughs> Hey, you gave an audible? Man, what? Hey, I gave audible at eight years old. <laughs> but rules, man, that, that's always been him. And and speaking of Sean Taylor, I remember uh Rolling, you probably remember this ball game too. The year we played Miami twice. We played y'all in the regular season, then we played again in the, in the Orange Bowl. And in that Orange Bowl matchup, remember we had Greg Jones at the yeah. running back position. And you know Greg Jones was whew, he was a load. And oh, yeah. Greg Jones ran an ISO, came through scot-free, got to the third level, and Sean came up. And that's the one time I saw Sean Taylor lose a battle. Greg Jones got lower, ran over Sean, kept going. And the very next play, I mean, like the next two or three plays, Pat P, watching Sean Taylor <laughs> just go hit anything that was wearing the opposite color was a thing to see, as a thing of beauty from a defender standpoint, but offensively, I mean, guys were just targets. You can tell Sean Taylor was so mad that he lost that battle to Greg Jones. The next two, three plays, he was hitting anything that had Garner and goal on, and he was laying into them. And, and you guys know how it is. When you play football, you play defense, like LeBeau used to tell us all the time in Pittsburgh, sometimes you get the bear, sometimes the bear gets you. Right. But when the bear gets you, you got to bite back. And man, but Sean Taylor would bite. It was one one place, and he didn't get chance to get to the ball carrier, so he hit the closest thing that was to him, which was a wide receiver. They could be standing looking at the play away from them, and he just go yeah. I mean, he was lighting them up left and right, and that just tell you the type of the type of ball player he was. You know, if he didn't win a battle, like you said, Ro, he was coming. He felt some type of way. He was on third team, and man, when he lost that battle to Greg Jones, boy, I mean. <laughs> Greg pissed him off the wrong way, and our receivers definitely pay had to pay for that price. Uh, but when you look at your outstanding career at at Miami, uh, being a first round selection, you you dominated on the collegiate fields. In college, you covered one guy that's getting ready to go in the Hall of Fame, and Calvin Johnson, and you also covered Larry Fitzgerald when he was at University of Pittsburgh. And you, Pat P, listen to these numbers in two ball games against those two players, Calvin Johnson and Larry Fitz. Roe only allowed 36 yards combined receiving. So, Antrell, who was the better pass catcher on the college field based on your experiences going against them? Calvin Johnson or Larry Fitz? 
Uh, it was no comparison on college field. Larry Fitzgerald all day. Larry Fitzgerald was, was, was an absolute dog. And not saying that Calvin wasn't, but Calvin was still young. You know, Calvin yeah. was, a baby, was a baby when I covered him. I'm sure, you know, if I covered him later in his career, it might have been a different result. But, um, you know, he was, still, he was still a youngster when I covered him. But Larry Fitzgerald was that dog. Like, yeah. it, you know, he, he couldn't be covered. In my eyes, he couldn't be covered. So the only, the only obstacle I had, the only thought that I had was, you know, going into that, going into that game, my coach wanted to double cover him. And I told him, no, we're not double covering him. Like, I, I want a man to man. And coach like, are you crazy? Like, listen, I said, listen, it's either you let me play him man to man, or you take him, you, you send another corner with him and let him have a shell over top. Cause I'm playing man to man. And I'm gonna get, and I'm gonna get in him. I said, I'm gonna get in him. And he was like, what? I said, listen, if, if I'm not playing him man to man, but somebody else in my spot, it's cool. But I said, I want a man to man. If he beat me, Make him earn it. Like he gonna have to show me that he gonna beat me. I'm not gonna give him the victory without him, you know, without me even being tested. I said right. that ain't gonna happen. So what I did was I studied film all week. I studied film, studied film. Larry Fitzgerald wasn't a blazing guy, so I knew, you know, my strength was putting my hands on. So one thing I knew about Fitzgerald is if the ball touched his hand, it was caught. Right. Like it was nothing you're gonna do. The ball was gonna be caught. So my whole obstacle that whole week was challenging was. Don't let the ball touch the receiver's hand. Don't let the ball touch the receiver's hand. His highest point, you couldn't jump with him. For some reason, he might not have the highest vertical, but his timing is impeccable. You remember mm -hmm. Super Bowl. You yeah. know, his timing is impeccable. I, I, right there, I got his hand all, all in it, everything. He'll come down with the ball. But that's who Fitz was. So I couldn't let him catch the ball. And we just had a great game plan. And, and he was challenged. You know, we our, our, our goal that game was to give it to Fitz. We didn't care about anybody on the team but to give the fits. And, and he got it. You know, he ended up scoring at the end of the game. He went to the different side, and I think they ran like a crosser route, and he scored in the game. I was mad. I was <laughs> mad because I wasn't on him. Uh -huh. uh, but, you know, man, he, he was the best I've ever seen at a wide receiver position in college football. Yeah, Larry was on. A, I remember watching that game. Yeah, that was a that was a hell of a game because you guys went down to Pittsburgh, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, right. I remember that game. That was a hell of a game. Yep. So, Ro, tell me this because I had an opportunity to get recruited by Miami. Why does it seem like top recruits don't have the same interest in Miami uh, as they used to? Because they all going to Florida State. Well, uh, you know, well, he said it right. Florida State. Florida State and Miami pretty much on the same level right now. <laughs> they, yes. they, they, they ain't popping. They, they not popping right now. It's not the same. You know, and, and, and I'll be honest and tell everybody, it's not the same. Listen, when we played Florida State back in the day, we knew, listen, this game can go either way because they got some dogs. Right. They got some dogs. And then, like, like me being on defense side, right, and I know my offense. I know the receivers I go up against every day. And then I go and I see Matt Daddy at that corner. Then they end up getting the freak Cromati at corner. I said, yeah. man, it's going to be a long day for these boys. <laughs> and it just seemed like everything was so poor. Like their defense was intact. In order for you to beat them, like they had to be the ones to make a mistake. Like, because it was just, they scheme. It just seemed like it, it was just perfect at all times. I'm like, damn, like, are these boys really that good or is the scheme that good? But them boys play ball. So yeah. it was like that on both sides of the table, you know. Uh, offensively, they had so many weapons. And then when they got Greg Jones, it was like, man, when he when y'all came out of Miami, he, he he murdered us. He murdered us by himself. I think he had probably like 200 some yards. 
Mm-hmm. At, at, oh, at 02, God. it was that 02 matchup, 2002 oh. matchup. Yeah. Oh, man. It was, it was bad. <laughs> it, it was bad. It was bad. But they don't carry the same weight, man. It's, it's the, the players are not the same. The leadership is not the same. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of recruiting a guy because of the stars, four stars, five stars, this, that, and the other. I'm not saying that that's what they're doing. But whatever it is, it's, it's, it's not converting to being a dog on the field. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not seeing enough dogs. You might have one, you might have two. But when we played, Matt, you know, we had 30, 40 dogs. Okay. We had dogs that weren't even touching the field. I, I think that 2002 matchup when we came down to Miami in the Orange Bowl, both teams combined to have like 35 pros oh, between us and Miami. 35 Ooh. pros. Think about that. Easily, and might even be more. <laughs> yeah, might even be, yeah. We talk about some of the young guns and some of the young kids, but yeah, we had like it was thirty plus pros between Miami and Florida State. Yeah, but it's it's not the same. But you know, when you when you have schools with such tradition, like you know the LSU's, the Alabamas, you know, guys are, are are leaning more towards those schools because they're producing. You know, even if they you know not sending. A uh, hundred first round draft picks, and you know LSU been killing it. Alabama been killing. It. Those guys have been consistent, you know, top tier for at least the last ten plus years. You know, they, they're the epitome of college football. You know, the Clemson's of the world now. Those guys mm-hmm. are playing ball, and you know, when you get kids from South Florida, you know, we we follow the trend. We follow. Okay, let's see what's popping. Let's see what guys are selling. What let's see, you know, and, and your program gotta be booming. If it ain't booming, they're not gonna they're not gonna go just because. It's the you, you know. And that, back to 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 um to credit your response, I, I I definitely agree with that because when I came out, it was two between two thousand nine two th- I'm sorry two thousand seven and two thousand eight when I was getting recruited by Miami. Like you said, it wasn't the same, you know, because I was a I'm I'm a huge UN fan. Was a huge UN fan growing up. Watched every single game on Saturdays, but going through that recruiting process, it was like. It feels a little different. Like you said, going to practice, seeing the guys, you know, wanting to kill each other. And next thing you know, they all they all buddy, buddy, hanging tight. But once it's back in between those lines, it was totally different. And I just didn't get that same feel because I used to come down there and uh, watch you guys. uh, I forget what they used to do with you guys. It's like the springtime when they used to let the fans and stuff come watch you guys. Spring fest. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think you remember this, but that's like around when that Nike camp had just came out and they used to host it at the University of Miami. Yeah. It used to be a great time coming down there and seeing all you guys, Sonoras, you. Uh, I remember seeing Devin, Devin Hester down there. So to to credit your response, like I said, it, was, it, it definitely wasn't the same. Um, you know, I think, you know, getting those guys, I think, like you said, once the recruiting process came such a big deal, I believe they just started wanting to go after those five-star guys so they can be a top-ranked recruiting. Uh, right. But yeah, it, it definitely wasn't the same. That's why I didn't go there. <laughs> I, I feel you. I feel you because we we started having that drop-off my last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just noticed that the guys we were bringing in just weren't, they weren't the guys that left before me. Right. And they weren't like myself. They were, it, it was different, you know, it was a different ball game. And I, and I noticed it, I noticed it. So when, you know, when Miami started that decline, uh, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't surprised. Right. Let me, hey, Ro, let me throw a date out to you. See if you remember this date. November the 18th, 2007. What happened on that date? Mm. November, 
Yeah. <laughs> November 18th, 2007. 2007. I'm in Arizona at that yep. time. Mm-hmm. That's my third year. Yep. Is that, is that Cincinnati game? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. You tied yeah. You tied the NFL record with two pick six in the same game off of Carson Palmer, uh, Cincinnati Bengals quarterback at that time. You said a record-setting day, to say the least. I don't even know if a Cardinals player has done that since. Two pick sixes in oh, the nope. same ball game. Eric might have to check this. I think Rashad Johnson did it against Detroit. Two pick sixes in the same game? If I'm not mistaken. Well, during that day, the 1807 roll tied the NFL record right. that day with those two pick sixes. Do, what do you remember about those two plays? Break it down for us. The sequences of picking the ball off and taking them to the house two times. Well, it was supposed to be three. One it was supposed to be call. three. Yeah, I had three that guy. They called one back. So it was supposed to be a record, but it got called back because Antonio Smith knocked Carson Palmer out. Oh, and the personal foul. Personal foul. Yeah. You supposed to have three? Ooh. It was three. It was three. It was three to the house. Three. Yeah, it was three. Um, and, and, and that's that's still sting too to this day because I would I would have been you know in the books by myself. Now I gotta oh, share with people. I gotta yeah. share it now. Yeah. But uh that game, man, I had a, I had a, I had a little personal vendetta. I, I wasn't starting that year. I got you know I got demoted. I was uh I was a third corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, coach, you know, we had a new coach, Coach Wizard Hunt. He brought his guys in. We wanted to play. I was like, cool, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pout. I'm not going to put my head down. This guy don't know who I am. But yeah. eventually, I'm going to get the opportunity. I'm going to show him who I am. So, you know, Chad, me, Chad and I had mutual friends, and he told, he told one, of my, one of my friends, oh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to give your boy that, your business, that business this week. But I can't really do too much to him because he didn't start. Yeah. That hit me a little different. Mm-hmm. It, 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 just, it just hit me different. It hit me, it hit me so different. So I, I got locked and loaded in on that film that week. I knew third, third and three to six. In a certain formation, they throwing that out to Hushmazada, no matter what. He getting the out. Yeah. He's getting the out. And it's going to be a quick out. And I say one thing about Carson Palmer, he was so confident in his arm, he didn't care if you were covered or not. He felt like he could get in there. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was third and five. I see that out coming. So I played him, I pressed him. You were pressing, okay. I was pressing. And within the press, when he was gonna cut, I kind of eased off a little bit so I can get my foot in that ground and break. So when I break, I broke right up under that out. Mm-hmm. I got it, boom. I stiffed on him, you know, gave him a little whistle-dizzle, you know, gave him, gave him a few moves, got to the end zone. The second play, I would line up at nickel. Um, I can show it, I can show like I was in free safety, but I already knew what I, I already knew what I had coming. I had to go down there, we're playing cover two. Inside route, you know, slant, letting let that number two go, go to number one. You know, back yeah, number one running the slant two, number two running the slant. Two. Yeah, they, yes, they come with a, they come with a double follow. I know it's no coming. question. Double they want you to take follow. that number two so that number one can be wide open. So what I did was I followed that number two in a little bit and dropped them, and then I just dropped back. <laughs> Boom, another one to the house, gone. Then the last one I had to the house, I was at safety. You know, they get they were getting desperate. They were trying to score. Mm-hmm. I was at safety, you know, we got some pressure on Carson Palmer. He threw it straight down the middle. I was at safety, boom, I got it, boom. That one was probably like seven yards, 70 yards. Took that one to the house and that's where the penalty came in because Antonio, I mean, uh, Antonio. who was it? Oh, uh, Antonio, Antonio, Antonio clean, he cleaned his clock. And it was, it, was a, it was a legal hit, but just because back then it was on the quarterback, yeah. we called a personal foul. You know, it wasn't, wasn't a nasty hit, wasn't nothing outrageous. 
he just he just blocked them, but he blocked, he got them good. Yeah. And you know, they called it back. So I ended up with three, three interceptions with two touchdowns. Oh boy, boy, you're talking about a day. <laughs> and that's the day, that's the day Coach Wizard Hunt realized who I was. Like I remember going to the locker room that day, and like I had tears in my eyes because I was so I was so angry, man. I was just holding in so much anger because I'm like, this guy benched me. For one, they got me playing nine yards off. Had to play nine yards off, you know, the years before. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not that corner. I'm a press guy. Right. If you yeah. let me do what I do, you'll see a different result. But you know, nevertheless, I just, I was gonna find my way no matter what. One thing I always knew that I was a ball player. It didn't matter because I played nickel, I played safety, I played corner. So anywhere you put me, I'm gonna sell. So once they start letting me get around that ball, then they start figuring out who I was. And yeah. and I always told myself, I say, listen. If I get, if I ever get the chance, and it wasn't nothing personal, but it was personal. I said, if I ever get the chance, one day I'm gonna make him beg me. Mm-hmm. I said, one day I'm gonna make him beg me. So when that free agency came around, I got my wish, and they could have, <laughs> they could have, they could have offered me the house. Honestly, I wasn't going back to Arizona just because of principle. You know, I felt a certain type of way. I wasn't going back to Arizona. My, my mind was made up before any negotiations, negotiations even started. I wasn't going back there because I was a man of principle. I felt like I really wasn't given a, a fair shake. And then I ended up making my way. And now you want me to stay. I said, but I'm gone. I'm, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna go take my time to South Beach. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love it. So now you're talking about obviously in that in that 2007 game, you just alluded to playing different positions. You played nickel, you played safety. So what went into the move in, in 2008 to, you know, to, to turn your, your career into a safety? Like, what was the adjustments? Like, what, what went into that thought process of finally moving from down to the line of scrimmage back a little bit more? So when I played at University of Miami, I played corner. You know, I was always pretty much like the boundary corner a lot of times. And I played, I always played against the number one receivers. And then I also played nickel. So I got used to being in action, you know, a lot of tackling, a lot of covering slot receivers. I was just more around the ball than just being specifically a corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way the Arizona corners had me playing, they had me playing off a lot of the times. And I just felt like I was isolated and I wasn't, I wasn't showing my times. Like I wasn't, I wasn't getting around the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it just didn't, it just didn't suit me. And uh, at the end of the 2007 season, coach asked me, he said, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to play corner or do you want to play safety? I say, man, listen, I just want to, I just want to be around the ball. Just let me be free. You know, let me use my football instincts. Let me use my film study. And I want to be around the ball. So then I just started playing safety and I played nickel a lot of times too. So um, I love, I love, I love when I made that change. It, it, yeah, I think it, it definitely excelled my career. And more importantly, I felt like I was able to, you know, to display my talents, you know, because I was a man who could play corner, who could play safety, who could play nickel, who could, who could do multiple different things. And, uh, I think it let me excel who I was and show who I was as a person. So, Troy, give me, give us a little the fans because we have a lot of Arizona fans on uh, that. That's on all things covered. Explain your time in Arizona. Oh man, my, my time in Arizona was was a great time because uh, when I first got there, listen, we were horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 were horrible. Um, I was like, you know, coming from a program like University of Miami, and then you going to a losing program where you win in four games in a season. Then you went in five games in the season. Like, man, what is this? Right. You know, I'm not used to this. And the players just got together. You know, we got together. Then we started getting more dolls and more people started coming in. And we just started seeing things form. And then we started noticing, okay, we're losing. 
but we giving up, we we giving these guys a battle. Like these guys, like they, they feeling us. We losing, but they feeling us now. And then we just start coming together. Guys just start forming together. We start getting pieces. We start getting, uh, you know, perfect pieces to the puzzle. And eventually, you know, we formed a team. We had some dogs on the offense side of the ball. We had some dogs on the defense side of the ball. And, uh, you know, we made that run. And we made that run. You know, we ran to those, to those Steelers, man, who also had a, a loaded team. That right. team, listen, that team shouldn't have been beat. You know, we gave them a run for their money, but that team shouldn't have been beat because they, they honestly, they were stacked at each and every position. Yep. And we were, the, we were the underdogs and we were just scrapping. We were a very, very scrappy team, but they were the better team. You know, and I, and I knew that. So that's why when we talk about that Super Bowl, I'm like, yeah, it hurt. But I'd rather take that hurt because if I got to lose that way, I'd rather lose that way a million times. Right. Lose that way by a miraculous catch. But I said, listen, they, they earned it. They deserved it. Yeah. You know, and you got to take your hat off to those guys, man. Like, listen, it was all, uh, you know. No doubt. And the thing I like about the Cardinals that 2008 season, they reminded us of who we were in 2005. You know, we, we barely yeah. got into the playoffs, but when we got into the playoffs, we were playing some of our best football. Right. And our confidence was super, super high. And Roe talking about when you first got to AZ, I mean, when you first got there, they only had one playoff appearance in 23 years. <laughs> so clearly, you know, they were inconsistent, you know what I mean, right. in the wrong way. But you guys all changed that and you had a big part to play in the change of the direction of the organization and currently where they are right now. And speaking of that 2008 championship game in Tampa, you were a part of two iconic plays, right? One was a Santonio Holmes catch you was on the field for. The other was a James Harrison interception return where you were on the field, but because of your body position, it kind of change the direction of your teammate in Larry Fitzgerald. And oh, by the way, I'm happy you were standing where you were standing <laughs> because if you weren't there, the likelihood of Larry Fitz making that tackle Pat P before Debo got to the end zone was likely. And that yeah. helped us because we needed that play. But just talk about, because what people don't understand, Ro, for us being players, we know how it feels to be standing on the football field, watching the Jumbotron and not realizing where you at because you're away from the plate. You're on the opposite side where the ball was actually placed at on the goal line. And ultimately the unthinkable happened. And now James Harrison is going the opposite direction, trying to get in the end zone. Take us through that play in that scenario, because when you watch the highlight, you don't, you see 21, but it's almost like you didn't realize where you were and who was around you. And Larry Fitzgerald had to kind of run that hump to avoid you to try to make that tackle. Right. So. Man, it's, it's, it, it was a crazy turn of events, right? Like No question, no question. Right before the halftime, you know, like, I don't know if it was just instincts. Or I, I don't know what it was, and I just had a bad feeling. I just had a bad feeling that something wasn't was going to go down. Like, it, it just, I'm like, okay, we're going into halftime. You got less than a minute left. You know, I just, I don't know. I just felt like something was just going to go wrong. And when I saw him drop back in coverage and get that interception, I was I was honestly in shock. It, it felt like it felt like like my body went numb because I'm like, damn, you know, did I did I speak this into existence? <laughs> you know, and like, it felt like my body went numb. And and honestly, when I think about it now, I'm just looking. I'm like, I honestly felt like I was gonna go trip this dude. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I felt like. That's what I felt in my body. And, and and I'm stopping myself. I'm stopping myself, but I didn't realize how close I was, you know, to, 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 the, to the boundary line. Yeah. But man, like, 
listen, when he got the interception, you know, people talk about the run back and all this stuff, but what I pay attention to on that interception is the blocking y'all have on. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Y'all beat our players up. Y'all, y'all literally manhandled them. And I was mad about that. I'm like, y'all manhandled everybody who was trying to get him, they literally manhandled him. And he let Fitzgerald got bumped out of bounds, you know. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I happened to be uh, you know, in that in that space and he had to run and he ran it to me actually kind of slow his progress down and had to run around and stuff like that. So, yeah, if he hadn't ran it to me, he definitely would have uh, would have caught Debo. But, you know, I tell people all the time, yeah, that was a crucial turning point in the game, but we still went up, you know, in that game. We still went up. Mm-hmm. So no matter no matter what happens, you know, the game still played out exactly the way it was supposed to be played and, and, and a better team won. Uh, did we have a shot? Absolutely, we had a shot. But the better team won that day. And, and I can say, I can accept that. And, and talking about the blocking, the week of uh, preparation, uh, while we were practicing, uh, we were practicing at South Florida, if I'm not mistaken. You know I how- I saw the footage. I saw yeah. the footage. You, you know how, I and, you, and y'all, y'all boys know how it is, right? Late in the season, you catch an interception against the scout team, you might not go hard to return it. You might get a little lazy, throw the ball back, get ready for the next play. So we were doing that. We were catching the ball and it was in the rain, but we wasn't returning. Mike T, Dick LeBeau, they called and said, listen, man, when y'all catch an interception, I need the cavalry in front of the ball, the man with the ball, and y'all run to score. Because if y'all do it now, y'all gonna do it on Sunday. And you know, we hear those things from coaches, we hear it, and it kinda doesn't really resonate like that. We're like, okay, we're gonna do what coach say do. So every, after that speech, every time someone caught an interception, it didn't matter if it was the first group, second group, or the third group. Whoever's on the football field, you caught an interception, you better go find someone to block and you return it all the way to the house. And literally, when that play happened, we got in the halftime, we was like, yo, that's why great coaches coach great teams. They put you in positions to be successful. You just got to listen. And you talk about that blocking, that was a huge, huge point of emphasis for us because we weren't doing that on Wednesday practice, but that Thursday, Friday practice, every time someone caught an interception, we got to go, right. we got to go. I, 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 saw, I saw the footage of that and I forgot, I forgot where they showed that footage, but I think it was going, going through the, the scenario of, of that play and how it happened. And then uh, they were showing the footage of y'all in practice, Yep, blocking, everybody running, crunk, getting the man in front of you, knocking them out. And I was like, practice made perfect, man. No you question. know, that, that, it, it becomes second nature. And that's mm-hmm. all that was. When he got that ball, man, I saw y'all literally beat our guys up. You beat them up, made, made them look like little boys on the field. But that's because y'all were prepared for that. Yeah. So how did it feel being on the good side when Mario Manningham made that catch mm. on the sideline uh, versus uh, Antonio Brown making that catch in Super Bowl, uh, whatever. Super Santonio, Bowl. Santonio Holmes. Santonio, Santonio Holmes making that catch in the Super Bowl. Listen, man, it, it felt good to be on the other side for a change, man. Listen, it, it felt good. That was good. a great catch by Mario, too, boy. Oh, my goodness. The safety couldn't have played it any better. No he question. Couldn't have played, he yes. couldn't have played it any better. No question. So he couldn't have played it any better. And, and Eli, you know, he, man, listen, that Eli, when, when the playoff Eli, is, is he, he's a different monster, man. He's a different monster. And, and he just put that ball right there, right in that honey hole. Right in that sweet spot. And Mario, I don't know, I still know how he made that catch. And but got both Mario, feet inbounds. Yeah. Both feet inbound. Both feet inbound. Also catch on the outside of that shoulder. It just it, it was just it was just great offense beating great defense. That's what no that's question. exactly what that was. Hey, so Ro, go ahead. I was gonna ask Ro un, 
your unbiased answer. What which catch was better, Santonio Holmes or Mario Minahan? Santonio Holmes all day. Yeah, I don't think you can compare the two because Santonio Holmes, how he caught it, the defense scheme that we have for it, though the the the, the, the timing of it is man. Listen, that, that's that's outside of to me. That's the best catch I've ever seen. You know, but the best catch I've ever seen was Odell Beckham, you know, behind yeah. the head. It, that, that, that's freakish. That, I mean, that dude freakish. He freakish anyway. But the, the, the best moment, like the pure moment of catch, Santonio Holmes. Hey, All you know, hey, hey Ro and, and Pat, you remember when we had Brandon Jacobs on the show some months ago? We had a little back and forth because he felt like the David Tyree catch. Yeah, it was better. Was better the helmet catch, but my argument was this, Ro. My argument was, Santonio Holmes catches better because it was more skill and structure than anything. The Ty- Tyree catch involved skill, but it was a lot of luck. A lot, a lot of luck. A lot of luck. It was a lot of luck involved in that. You know what I mean? Like he probably could never do that catch over again if you paid him. But Santonio, just the toe tap. The hand placement, and if you look at where Big Ben threw the ball, it went over like three defenders. I remember Ralph yeah. Brown; it barely, it barely missed Ralph Brown's fingertips. Yeah, and it just yeah. dropped, and just it literally just dropped, man. And he he was stretched out like a, like a ballerina, man. Just listen, it's, it's like I tell people all the time: if I gotta lose like that, I will lose like that a million times out of a million times. Because what was the coverage I was in? <laughs> that been look like don't make don't make don't make me talk about the coverage because yeah, uh Rod Hood was on that team wasn't it yeah Rod was on that team Rod was on that <laughs> what team was, what, was y'all was I like in cover two or cover four what was the coverage it was it, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna let you be a corner and I'm gonna let you dissect this okay we was in a we was in a box coverage yeah that's okay. what it was box and it was okay hey so so bro bro put your coaching hat put your coaching hat on for us because we got a lot of viewers and listeners that might not know exactly what a box coverage is so go ahead and put your coaching hat on and break it down for our listeners and our viewers okay so for that on that side mm-hmm. you got four and that guys. was to the wide side right that was to the that was to the to the field yeah it, it was yes. to the field yeah so uh on the back side we was pretty much playing kind of like a man to man with a guy hanging low and on, on that side where the play happened, we're supposed to have a guy that's playing the flat, which mm-hmm. is the low guy, the low outside guy. We had a, a we had a high outside guy, which is supposed to be exactly where Santonio Holmes caught that ball. Then we have a low inside guy for anything that's coming underneath. And then we have a high inside guy. So they played, they ran that play a couple of times earlier in that game. Yep. And actually the play right before that, right they ran before that they exact ran same play yeah, to the other side, side. Yep. and being yep. overthrew him. Mm-hmm. So the coach knew exactly what was coming and put us in the perfect coverage if the coverage was ran the right way. Yeah. The perfect coverage. So mind you, we have a low outside guy and a high outside guy they threw the ball exactly where the high outside guy is supposed to be. So the high outside guy went and tacked the, the lower route, the yeah. shorter route, and left he the hole. He attacked the shorter route. This guy just a little bit. He, 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 he attacked the shorter route. Yeah. And Ben Rosenberger threw the ball, dropped down low, and it left the open air. Francisco tried to do the best he can to try to come over there and make a play, but it was greatness. Yeah. It was greatness. That, That's that, why football is the ultimate team sport. You can have 10 people doing what they're supposed to do and one person not doing what they're supposed to do. It messes up the entire thing. Exactly right. It was exactly yeah. right. 
And well, now, let, I wanted to bounce back real quick to uh, playoff Eli. Like, mm. how, like, what was different? What was the, I guess, the, the switch that went on for him during the playoffs? Because he was a different quarterback in the playoffs versus the regular season. Oh, was man. It, like, what what you think went into playoff Eli? Listen, I, listen I, I, wish, I wish I knew the answer to that, but, but, but I don't. I just know that, you know, Eli, he, he has a certain demeanor about himself, and people, people, they misunderstand Eli. You know, they think he, you know, because it's, that's just his look. That's just the look of the man. It's like he can't do nothing about that. But like Eli is honestly one of the, definitely one of the most prepared guys and, and, and confident guys I've, I've ever played with. And more importantly, I know when that time comes, he, he's going to ride. And, you know, I, I never really had an experience to play with him in the playoffs, but throughout that playoffs, I'm just seeing a, a different guy. I'm seeing a more rugged Eli. I'm seeing a tougher Eli. I'm seeing a dude that is willing to stand the paint and endure whatever beatings he is going to endure in order to make sure his team is successful. And that's the Eli who we saw during the playoffs. It was a guy that there was no holes ball. He was standing in the paint no matter what. And, and listen, I've never seen a quarterback get beat up as much as I saw Eli get beat up playing against San Francisco. They demolished him. And that San Francisco defense was tough, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> they had oh some dogs. Yeah. I, kept, I kept saying to myself, that's it. I, he ain't getting up. He ain't getting up. <laughs> I kept saying, that's it. I, oh, man, they keep getting to him. That's it. And Eli, get up with that look, shrug his shoulders, fix that, and come right back. I was like... I was like, that he made me a fan that day. I was all, I always liked Eli as a quarterback, but he made me a fan that day. I was like, that's a bad white boy. I said, boy, that's a bad white boy. <laughs> hey, listen, and, and you know, he carried us, man. He carried us, just his mentality, his leadership. Like, I don't think Eli got enough credit for, you know, I can't speak about Super Bowl prior to what I was there, but yeah. the Super Bowl that I was a part of, he played a tremendous part. And I'm not just talking about just, what he contributed on the field, I'm talking about also off the field. So is Eli so, Hall of Famer? Yes, he First is balance. my for sure. He yeah. is definitely a Hall of Famer. He's, he's earned that right. right um, he's had that career. I think he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Oh, I got a good one for you then, Rob. You played with another Hall of Fame quarterback in Kurt Warner. So if you had to take one, who you taking? Eli or Kurt Warner? <sighs> um, I think I would, it, it, it depends on, what, what, what are we talking about? We're just talking about just straight quarterback. One game. You need one. You need to win one game. Because oh, you talked about playoff, Eli, going to a whole nother level. I'm, I'm and Kurt Warner, you know, I'm, did some I, pretty I've, good things, too. I've seen, I've seen one game. Kurt Warner. I've seen Kurt Warner, uh, you know, we were playing against Green Bay. It was just nothing that we can do. You know, it was just nothing yeah. that we can do. Aaron Rodgers was, I'm talking about, put, Mac had some coverage sometimes. And I, I, I honestly felt bad for Matt that game because his coverage was so tight. Mm -hmm. When I tell you so tight, it was so tight that it couldn't be any better. And Aaron Rodgers was throwing that ball, the back of the receivers, yeah, no he was question. throwing to, to the ankles. I'm like, there's nothing that you can do. There's honestly nothing that you can do. And that guy went into a mode, man, I was like, I went, we went into the court, Kurt, Kurt, you gotta keep scoring, man. We, 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 <laughs> we ain't gonna stop him. And he kept I'm scoring too. Yeah, that, 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 you know, I, I didn't know I didn't know he was even capable of that. But I was like, Aaron Rodgers is something different. But no I will still have to go with, for one game, I'm going to take Eli. I'm going to take Eli for one game. I'm going to take, and, and that's a very, very hard decision to make because 
you know, the surgeon Kurt put that glove on, he go to work. <laughs> that little, side, he little go, saggy he, glove. He to, yeah, he go to work. But I just think that, I think that if you put Kurt Warner in the game against San Francisco, mm, I don't think you have that same outcome. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I don't think, I don't know if Kurt would have been able to endure what Eli endured in that game. And that's the only reason why I make the decision that I said. Yeah, because that was, you guys were in San Francisco, that playoff in, game. In San Francisco, right? in San Francisco. And they yeah, had them yeah. boys, they had them dolls in that yeah. Justin oh, Smith, Patrick oh. Willis, Bowman. Alden Smith. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 They had, uh, they had uh, corner name, uh, Ro um, Carlos Rogers. Carlos Rogers. Carlos Rogers. Yeah. Uh, 38. 38. Deshaun, Deshaun, Deshaun. Ghoston. Yeah, who, who are coming in that head first. Yeah, Dante Whitner. Yeah, Dante Whitner. Yeah. I think Amon Brooks was on that team also. He had nothing. Amon yeah. Brooks. Brooks was on that team, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. I was surprised. I, I, honestly, I don't know how y'all won that game. Anyway, I was surprised. <laughs> it was a it was, it was drop punt. It, it was, boom, two, two of them. Yeah, two. He dropped two, two. like, back to back. It, it was a battle. It was a battle of defenses that game because yeah. we knew they had, they had a kicker that honestly, if they got to the fifty, he it was a possibility he could have made a kick a sixty-seven yard field goal. It, it, it was possible. It was yeah. possible he could have made it. So we we as a defense, we were like, listen, we can't let them cross half field. We can't because if yeah. they cross half field, they won't just keep kicking field goals. So mm -hmm. it was a defensive battle the entire game. Yeah. yeah. Hey, last question for you, Ro, before we transition to the superlative part of this show. I know you're still much involved with the New York Giants. And currently, you know, the expectations are getting higher for the ball club this season with all the additions they've made offensively and defensively. Um, you know, you look at another year Daniel Jones will have under his belt. You get a healthy Saquon Barkley back. Uh, you know, Bradbury played good football. You signed Odori Jackson. You got Leonard Williams. Um, you know, Galladay was a big acquisition from the Detroit Lions, what are your expectations for the Giants this upcoming season? And what do, do they need to do to turn the corner? I, I think, I think uh, you know, Judge, they have a, a, a coach that they believe in. I think they have a coach that understands them as, as an entirety. It's time for them to get back to playing ball. It's time for them to get back to winning. I think they've had so many losing seasons at this point with a lot of key players that can put you in a position to win, but I think it was just about them judging as a team. And I think they, they found themselves throughout a lot of the parts of last year. Guys are still young. Then, you know, Saquon Barkley going down, that hurt them tremendously. Mm -hmm. um, but I think with the key additions that they have, and I think now with, you know, you got Logan Ryan back there. He's playing some good ball at safety. You got Jabril Peppers. You have Bradbury that that played just as well as, you know, pretty much any corner in the league last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, not, not maybe – having the, the, the splashes of a lot of corners, but man and man, you know, he played a lot of good ball, a lot of pass yeah. breakups, and that's huge for a corner because that's hard to do. You know, we all know that we've all been on that island. Mm -hmm. So I think now it's, it's the, the guys that they've had there, the Ingrams, the Sterling Shepherds, I think those, once those guys play to the level of expectations that we all think that they can play at, and then with the key additions that they have now, I think they can be a team that can be, they, the, the, they can be a team to be reckoned with. Yeah, Do you I think, think Daniel Jones is the guy? Yeah, I was just about to say that. You about to ask that yeah. question with great minds think alike. You think yeah. Daniel Jones is the guy? I think I think Daniel Jones, 
I, I, I can't say he's the guy because, you know, it's only been two years for him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you see some great things from him. Then you see some times when he get pretty sloppy. It seems like he forces a lot of passes. Right. You know, he has to do better with protecting the ball. And, uh, you know, they show, you know, he put a little muscle on, you know, in the offseason and stuff like that. Do I think that's going to transition to football? Um, I don't really think so. But I think his mindset and who he has, who he needs to be, uh, for that organization and, and who they expect him to be. I think he has the skill set, but I think, you know, he he has a lot of work to do. He needs to do a lot of studying. He needs to feel very comfortable within himself and believe in himself that he can go out there and get it done. And I think he can be the guy, but I don't think he's the guy just yet. So long story short, this is a make or break year for Daniel Jones. It has to be. No doubt about it. Correct. Yeah, right. And I think his biggest problem is, like you, like Antra alluded to, is just turning the ball over. I mean, oh, no question. You can't win if you turn the ball over. Check the ball, and obviously missing uh, Saquon Barkley is, is a huge, you know, dent in the, in, in in the offense. But as a quarterback, you can't turn that ball over because you're giving the opposite team more possessions. So mm-hmm. if he understands what he what he needs to do to in order to put his team in a winning position, which is converting on third down, putting the ball in the right place and, and limiting those turnovers, I think he can be the guy because he got all the athletic ability. He's mo- a little, you know, he got a little bit of mobility in him, very strong arm. I think the offense fit uh, with uh, uh, Jason Garrett being there as the offense coordinator. I think that tailor makes his game a little bit. It's just going to come down to Daniel Jones. No question. Turning the ball over. If, if, if he falls on his face this year, not literally speaking, yeah, but just from production, they're going to look elsewhere no doubt about in 2022. It. I think right now the NFL is only giving these young quarterbacks three years. Yeah. You got three years to really show you can you could be the future. You know, we saw what happened with the Jets and Sam Darnold. I mean, you got three years to show, you know, what they can, you know, hang their hat on your shoulders to be successful. If not, they're going to be looking elsewhere. So I agree with you guys. I think this is a make or break year for Daniel Jones. Now we're going to transition to the superlative part of the show. Ro, we want your unbiased, honest answer. First question for you. Hurricanes Mount Rushmore. We had Santana on the show a few episodes ago. I'm going to read you his Mount Rushmore, right? His top four players to ever play for the University of Miami. He had Michael Irvin, Gino Toretta, Edgerin James, Ed Reed. So who is your Mount Rushmore of Hurricane players? Okay, so I'm going to go two off. I'm going to go two defense. I'm going to go two offense. Gotcha. So for defense, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Shanti. Uh huh. Um, I'm gonna take Dan Morgan. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take Dan Morgan. Uh, offensively, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Ken Dorsey. Ken Dorsey was a bad boy, man. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the the, the collegiate Ken yeah, Dorsey. So you're taking Ken Dorsey out when you look at all the iconic quarterbacks. You know, Kurt, Kurt, Bernie Kosar, Gino Toretta. Jim Kelly, you taking Ken Dorsey over all of them? I think his collegiate career is better yeah, than theirs. Do I think he possesses the same talents or you know make transitions to NFL? No, but his yeah. collegiate quarterback, his, his collegiate quarterback career, I'm taking Ken Dorsey. And just because, oh well, you know, I, I might be a little biased just because I know Ken Dorsey was a six-five skinny white boy leading a whole team of brothers, and he was a general. Mm-hmm. He was a general. We followed what Ken Dorsey wanted. Like he was a general, and for me, that spoke volumes to me because I've never ever seen that before. I didn't see that before. Yeah. And uh, and, 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 and you know we we follow suit. Um, and then offensively, I'm gonna go. 
Wow, Rush Moore. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take, I wanna say Andre Johnson, but I'm gonna say, I'm gonna take Santana Moss mm-hmm. just because of his ability at wide receiver, also his ability at part return. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Dan Morgan, Sean T, Santana, and Dorsey. Okay. Best atmosphere you ever played in. Ooh. It could be college or in the league. Ooh. Um, best atmosphere I've ever played in. Uh, I'm not going to say Super Bowl because that's that's obvious. Right. Uh, I would probably have to say either Seattle mm-hmm. or Philly. Yeah. Because Philly, Philly, Philly they, they get wild in Philly. Especially at night. They be they get rowdy during the daytime, but nighttime? It's something different. It's, it's they different at night. Wild. They oh, get no, wild no. out there. Yeah, they get wild out there. All right. Next question for you. Oh, this is a tough one here. Start, sit, cut. Who you starting, who you going to sit, and who you cutting? You got Willis McGahee, Clinton Portis, Frank Gore. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, listen to me with this one. Okay. Are we talking about college? We're talking about college. Yeah, college, college. We're talking okay. about college. Before Frank Gore got injured, he was the best I had ever seen till this day. I heard that. The best, listen to what I'm saying. The vision, mm-hmm. cuts. Yeah, he was cold. The best I've ever seen till this day. Never seen nothing like it. Till this day, I've never seen nothing like that Frank Gore before he got injured. What was so, so special gonna, about him before the injury? Man, he, man, he, I, I, he was just different. He, mm-hmm. he wasn't the fastest guy, but you weren't going to catch him if you go. You couldn't tackle him. You couldn't tackle him. <laughs> that was the only running back ever in my career I could not tackle. Yeah, and I'm talking about I have a clean shot. I have a clean shot on him. And it's either he, he, he cut off of both feet and he never slowed down. It was like a, it was a smooth, it, it, it felt slow, but you could never get him. <laughs> yeah. You could never yeah. get him. And then he'll get you off balance and hit you with a stiff arm. Mm-hmm. Then he ran, he ran literally this low to the ground <laughs> and never changed speeds. Never changed speed. Some players, they'll give you this and have a shift and this. He never changed speed. When he cut, he never changed speed. So I'm going to start Frank. Start Frank. Okay. Sit Portis. No, we're talking about college, right? We're talking about college. (laughs) Everybody healthy. Hey, Ro, everybody healthy. No injuries. Because McGay had a a season, well, a a devastating injury in college also. So everybody healthy. No no scratches. Yeah, man, McGay, that season, McGay, he had, oh mm. my goodness. Yeah, he had like seven mm. touchdowns against Virginia Tech or something like that, I remember. Oh man, man. nah, he, he, so he, he, he carried out some, he carried out some. McGahee. I'm McGahee. Sti- I, I just, I'm, I'm still gonna have to, I'm gonna start Frank. Gotcha. I'm gonna sit Porters, I just, it's just something about that sweet, because Porters, Porters, he's, he's just sweet, man. It was, it was, he was smooth he too. Porter's was smooth, man. Thanks. Porter was just a great combination of all of the both. Yes. Guys. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And then I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to cut Willis. I'm gonna have to start. I have to. I just have to settle for it. I can see that. I, I, that's okay. the right I would have. That's a tough one. That's a yeah, tough it one. is a tough one, but that's the right oh, I would have. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So uh, your first purchase at the signing the Richard safety deal with the Giants. 
Uh, my first purchase. Well, I already had everything I wanted. Yeah, I've been saying you already had it. <laughs> but hey, but it ain't nothing like when you get the second contract. Right. Though. You're right. <laughs> right. Oh man, I, I, I can't even remember honestly at that point. I, I don't think it was nothing, nothing crazy. Nothing crazy. Uh, yeah, not nothing crazy, man. Because you know, at that point, once once you have your house and you have your cars. Yeah, and you, and you had like, that. He had the red Mazda, the, the red Mazi. Hey, hey, I still got it next to Hey, it's smooth. Hey, you still got your old school too? I still got the dunk. I still. Hey, got Pat. The dunk. Pat, hey, he got a nice dunk. Pat, he got a nice dunk. <laughs> Pat. I already know, man. We're from Florida, man. That's what we saw and grew up. That's with right. The, uh, hey, Ro, what you had? The four Gs on there? What was the four G? I got the four G autos on there. Yeah, I got twenty six four G autos on there. Hey, yes, what, what, what? I need you to do? Text me a picture of the dunk, and then when we actually officially <laughs> drop this, we're gonna have it in the YouTube show. All right, I got you. I yeah, got so we're gonna put so. the dunk. He got a mean dunk, Pat. You ain't never seen his dunk, huh? I think it's blue, right? No, no, it's red. It's can candy apple red. Candy red. I don't think it's I mean. I what you got underneath, underneath the hood, Ro? It's a uh, it's a five oh two. It's one big block. It's one. Yeah, it's one. It's the big block. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, so uh, since, you, since you already had everything on your on your on your uh, richest contract, so I'm I'm actually another one. What was your best interception? Your favorite interception, not your best one. Your favorite interception. My favorite interception. They could be in practice because we know a lot of a lot of great interceptions happen in practice. Oh, too. People don't even yeah. see it. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, they do. Yes, uh, but probably my favorite interception was against the Rams. It was against the Rams. It was 2008 season. Um, I started off, you know, at the beginning of the play. I started off, I think, close to the line of scrimmage. I was roaming. I was roaming at, at nickel. I was roaming, and I started off at the line of scrimmage. And by the time the ball was, by the time the ball was hiked, I was like midfield. And then I end up all the way back. It ran like a deep post. I ended up picking off that ball uh, against the Rams. And that was probably my, 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 that was probably my favorite intercessor just because I worked so hard. And you know what I mean? Like that, 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 that wasted energy. I worked so hard trying to disguise and everything like that. Right. Once I got the interception, you know, I ran it back for probably 50 yards. But if I wasn't so tired, I could have definitely took it to the house. But right. I think that's probably my favorite. That was probably my favorite interception. Let's do it. Mm, good. Hey, I gotta throw this one in there, Ro. Best Boo Ray player you played against. <laughs> Ooh, the Boo King himself, Mac Daddy, baby. <laughs> Mac got that. Mac got the title. I give it to him because you know what? I, I've never seen Mac. Man, Mac is the yeah. only one at that table sober, man. man yeah, yeah. He's so <laughs> hey, hey, my fault. Y'all want to get uh, want to play cards under the under the influence. <laughs> hey, my fault. Hey, but hey, hey, <laughs> hey, Pat P. Advantage, man. <laughs> hey, no question. Hey, we already trying to put something together in Miami. We're gonna have some boo boo players. Roll already gave me the insight. Pat P, I need you there. Yep, yep. <laughs> hey, we go, we're gonna have a nice little weekend, a little shindig oh, yeah. together. You oh, know yeah. what I'm saying? We're gonna hey, find man, a nice location. I'm gonna be down there for the rolling loud, the 23rd through the 25th. When, when y'all thinking about doing this? I'm gonna be down there, uh, I'm gonna be down there from July 23rd through the 25th. And I'm gonna be gone. My, my son got a, uh, the World Jiu-Jitsu Tournament in Orlando on the 24th, so I'm gonna be gone then. But we'll we, 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 we got We got time, we, we got time. All we need is like a good two days. That's it, a That's day it. and a half. That's it, oh, get yeah. everybody down That's there. It. And then somebody gonna get Bop City and we gonna, <laughs> we gonna break bread together and we gonna boo each other. Oh yeah. 
Oh, we yeah. gonna boogie each other. Trap down there too, man. I ain't seen trap in a while, man. Yeah, hey, let's get all the boys together, man. Let's get all the boys together, man. Have a boo ray festival, man. Boo ray festival, man. Oh yeah, that'll hey, be good, man. Thank you for joining us here. All things covered. Pat Peterson, Brian McFadden, man. Pleasure is ours. Definitely insightful, entertaining conversation, man. Friend of the show, you're always welcome to join us at any given time. And don't forget to send me that picture that don't. And we're gonna keep people, we're gonna keep people involved about this boo ray date that we're gonna have set up and let everybody know who's gonna be there. No, I appreciate y'all, man. Love y'all boys, man. All right, Jules. Amen, my guy. Thanks again to Antro Road, and thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of All Things Covered. If you like what you hear, make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back soon where you can expect all things to be covered. Peace. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.